Good morning, everybody. Right. I uh, I think you can hear me because I just heard myself over the live stream. So uh, uh, yeah, uh, let me know if we're having any problems here. Uh, good morning, everybody. I want to wish uh, happy Valentine's Day to everyone. Uh, and uh, I apologize this morning because uh, the trouble in the service probably comes back to me. Uh, a week ago, I got a negative COVID test and uh, just had a bad cold all week. And this morning I got up and uh, can't really smell anything. So uh, I want to thank thank the sound crew this morning for uh, and praise God for technology that uh, I can still uh, still preach and and hopefully uh, you're hearing what I have to say, and more importantly, what does the Lord have to say for us this morning? What's up? So, um, anyway, let's uh, let's open up with a prayer this morning. Father, uh, Father, we give thanks to you for this day, uh, Lord. On Valentine's Day, we thank you for your love. And today, uh, as we are in the middle of three weeks here in Jefferson County of almost 40 churches preaching about marriage and family, Holy Spirit, we ask that you not only work in our hearts and speak your word to us this morning, but that you would do that all over the county and not just in the congregations, but that you would do something mighty in the whole community. Father, we pray this morning that you would uh, bless this time and uh, bless this community and bring healing and strength and prosperity to marriages and families in this county and in this nation. <clears throat> Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, well, <clears throat> Uh, thanks for your patience this morning. Uh, so Wayne was going to preach this morning, but he's got COVID. And so I'm going to be preaching about biblical family, and especially focus on, uh, focusing on raising children. And uh, Wayne will be back next week, hopefully, and, and teach more about marriage. Um, so I was, I was telling my students recently, uh, if we stop and think about all that we own, we are some of the richest human, human beings in all of history. Uh, I don't think of myself as a rich person. Uh, we go to the food pantry and everything, but what would past people born before the 20th century have given to have all the things that even the poorer among us regularly own now? Just take our motor vehicles, for example. Do you think Benjamin Franklin would have liked to have my 2006 Honda Odyssey with the air conditioning, the stereo, the headlights, and the cushioned seats, among other stuff. And uh, our family actually, our family has six people and we have three motor vehicles now. Uh, how blessed we are with material things. But think about this, without the knowledge or determination to maintain and correctly operate these vehicles, they can easily be rendered useless or even destructive. Uh, so fortunately, I've got 
owner's manuals and repair manuals from the manufacturer, as well as uh, the laws from the state of Missouri. And I've also got YouTube, that's helpful, uh, to make sure that I know how to use and care for my cars properly. <clears throat> so uh, we can all get the desired benefit from them. For example, my owner's manual tells me to check and change the engine oil at regular intervals. If I haven't been taught to do that, which I have, or if I haven't taken time to read the owner's manual, or maybe I listened to a lazy friend or even a jealous enemy telling me that changing the oil is not really necessary. Maybe it's just a ploy by big oil to take more of our money. Anyway, my van is not gonna benefit me for long. Even worse problems would likely result if I decided that the rules of the road are okay for some people, but not for me. You know, big, big government's always trying to take away my freedom and steal my fun. Well, one of the much more basic, but immeasurably more important gifts all humans <clears throat> have been given is family. The Lord, the creator of the universe and all people, designed marriage and families as the building block structure of human society. Everyone's part of a family, although much human experience of family has been fractured by the brokenness of sin. Nevertheless, God is still the designer, and his word in the Bible gives the assembly instructions and user guide for all family life and relationships. But, you know, we humans are born with a sinful nature. And much of what our society teaches about marriage and family is driven actually by selfishness, ignorance, and rebellion. No wonder we see the fabric of our society unraveling as people stray further from biblical teaching. The disregard of our creator's instruction on family relationships has resulted in much pain, poverty, sickness, anxiety, bitterness, fighting, crime, and isolation, among other things. But conversely, following the Lord's instruction on family relationships creates wholeness, peace, unity, faith, and yes, prosperity. He wants us to look to him, the author of life and salvation, for answers and guidance because he is truly our good and wise father. Amen. But to do so, we must go against the grain of our modern society. It's, we are not going to be the same as the unbelieving world around us. Yet yeah, there is a hard fought battle these days over our children, over their eyes, their ears, their minds, and their hearts. It's always been that way, I guess, but it's certainly more bold and blatant now. And it has a greater ability to reach right into our homes with the technology and media that our children often have access to. Video games and social media platforms that seem to be for our entertainment are specifically being used to target and educate our children in anti-biblical values. Just last week, I saw an article by CNN hailing the coming out of a famous 17-year-old female TikTok star. 
Now, according to the article, children now have a real gay role model to follow. And this is supposed to be wonderful. I'm not joking. That, that, was, uh, that was an article. How many Christian parents are on guard against this or against potential predators that our children might be communicating with on social media or while they're playing video games online? Are we aware that our children are seeking answers to their spiritual questions on YouTube? It's true. I've met, I've met them. The battle is more in our faces than it ever has been before. Well, this, this brings us back to the owner's manual. The whole Bible is useful in teaching us how to have godly, peace-filled, and fruitful family relationships. I've always believed that if we fear and love God and treat our spouse and children the way the Bible teaches us to treat all people, our marriage and family relationships are going to prosper. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Throughout the whole Bible, we read that all of us should fear and love the Lord, love our fellow man, be humble, repent when we sin, forgive when others hurt or offend us, respect authority, and generally produce all of the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, if we follow those things, we're going to have blessed family life and marriage life in general. But today, we want to look at one very clear, specific passage that addresses four specific aspects of family relationships, and that's Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 to 21. Let's read it. Wives, submit, to your, submit yourselves to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Like I said, next week, Wayne's going to take a deeper look at the relationship between a husband and wife. But today, as we focus on parenting godly children, these first two verses still play a critical part. So today, we're going to examine all four of these commands. And the first one, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. In case you haven't noticed, our society today is pushing us to view everything through the lens of what we call critical theory. And what that is, it's, it's a philosophy that's really rooted in Marxism. It was promoted by Karl Marx, uh, Sigmund Freud. And what it says is all relationships fit into an overall struggle between the oppressor and the oppressed. And according to this view, traditional power structures should be overthrown in order to liberate people from oppression. That's why you see people tearing down statues of George Washington and Ulysses S. Grant. Uh, and that's why you, you see the Bible being um, discredited all over the place. Um, now, is there plenty of oppression in the world? 
absolutely. But we need to be careful to identify the correct source of oppression. Society often blames the wrong source because they we have the devil and the sinful flesh whispering in our ears. Needless to say, modern society wants to throw out this biblical command about wives submitting to their husbands as oppressive to women. But that disagrees, actually, with our biblical owner's manual. In God's understanding, just like in the military, submission actually increases authority. A wife submitting to God's authority structure for the family is not oppressed, but rather empowered and given freedom to function in her calling. And I'm sure Wayne will talk more about this next week. But when we say a wife, when God says a wife should submit to her husband, he is not saying a husband is more valuable to God or uh, more important than the wife. But we're talking about a certain structure of authority that God has instituted. Uh, so, uh, you know, when a wife submits to her husband, she's actually freed from burdens that she was not intended to bear. One major way this is shown is in her authority in rearing and training her children. Children who see their mom as in Christ-like submission to her husband will more easily follow that example when they need to submit to her authority themselves. Moms, one of the best gifts that you can give your kids is to demonstrate a strong devotion to the Lord and a strong relationship with him. And a big part of that, obviously, is doing what he says in his word. Demonstrating that godly submission speaks volumes to your kids. So then what does God mean when he says, what does it mean when it says, as is fitting in the Lord? Well, it means as long as it doesn't go against scripture. Wives should not obey husbands who tell them to sin. Neither should a child obey a parent who urges them to do wrong. However, what it does not mean is that you needn't obey if you don't like the idea or if you think that you have a better way. Certainly, there is a right way to communicate about these things, and husbands should definitely listen to their wives' perspective. But in the end, if it's, if it's not a morally wrong choice, God leaves the final decision up to the husband. It's more blessed in God's eyes to submit to a second-best decision than to rebel in such a case. Remember, God is the one who brings blessings and success. He is also the one who is your husband's Lord. Even if you don't trust your husband's idea, you can trust God. <laughs> and, and actually in prayer, you can go over your husband's head and talk to God because God is the Lord of your husband. Likewise, if your kids do not like your rules, they can still trust God and obey you. Moving on to the second commandment there, it says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Dads, 
Do you want your children to grow up feeling confident and secure? Do you want them to be loving toward others? Then make it obvious by your words and actions that you love your wife, their mother. I'm a teacher, not a psychologist, but it's become obvious to me over the years that many children who live in homes where I've seen that there's some harsh marital conflict, I've noticed they have trouble focusing on schoolwork often, among some other issues. Do you want your children to see God as the loving, gentle, slow to anger father that scripture says he is? Then be loving and gentle in all your dealings with them and their mother. If you fail, don't be afraid to quickly and openly repent. Uh, sometimes pride gets in the way with, of that. But really, if we want to disciple our children and teach them how to repent when they sin, and they will, then we need to be open about repenting when we sin, and we do. Of course, um, what I'm not saying is that you can't have disagreements. Those are going to happen. Or that you shouldn't correct your children. That, that would be wrong. It means that we need to do, when we do, we need to do so in love and while maintaining the fruit of the spirit in our words and actions. And by the way, uh, who produces the fruit of the spirit in our lives? It's the spirit, right? And so we all who are believers have access to that. He is able to help us to be loving, gentle, kind, joyful, and uh, every other fruit of the Spirit that we need. If a husband or father is going to be a true leader of the family, then he must follow Jesus' example of sacrifice and becoming a servant. And so right now I'm going to give you a quick uh, Bible lesson about true leadership. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We know what he did. He died on the cross for us. John 13, 13 to 17, Jesus said, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8, Paul writes, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Matthew 20, 25 to 28 says, Jesus called them together, his disciples, and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. 
Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. That's not a popular word these days. That's what he says. We need to submit and serve our fellow man. Just as the Son of God did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Is it not clear then that the husband and father of a family commissioned by God to lead his family must lead as a gentle servant and in love? And it should not be oppressive for godly wives and children to submit to this kind of loving man, just as it is a blessing to submit to Jesus Christ. Amen. The third command in Colossians that we read is this one. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Children and young people, this is a pretty specific command, and it is quite different from what you will see and hear from the world around you. Notice that God is not giving you the option of obeying your parents just when you feel like it, or when you agree with them, or when they give you the same rules as your friend's parents have for them. It says, obey them in everything. And the Greek word for obey there, hypakao, sorry, I'm not a Greek expert. That word does not mean to obey only after they have already told you three times. Actually, it suggests attentively listening. So it involves listening. That is being fully compliant, responsive. So it doesn't let you use the excuse that you didn't hear the first time. Obeying there means listening for your parents' instructions carefully. The good news from this verse is, that, is what it says at the end. For this pleases the Lord. Our obedience to the authorities he gives us pleases him. And that results in blessings for us. In Ephesians 6, 1 to 3, it says this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. In other words, do you want to live a longer life? Do you want to enjoy a better life? Then God has a deal for you. If you honor your father and your mother, then he will bless you with a longer and better life than if you do not. Does it not say that? Remember, God does not break his promises. What a great deal. In fact, all of us believers would do well to think more about the blessings God promises to those who live to please him in every facet of our life. Just another side note here for all of us who have parents, even older ones. While we are told as children to obey our parents, all ages are commanded to honor our parents. In other words, when we've moved out and set up our own house, households, now some Bible teachers believe this happens when we get married or perhaps when single adults become independent. 
But when that happens, parents don't have the authority to interfere in our marriages, work choices, child rearing, etc. Truthfully, that could be very detrimental. So parents, that's something to note too. Um, the time when your children are required to obey everything you tell them is limited. However, God still requires us to treat our parents with honor at this stage. And it is often wisdom to still listen to their advice in the Lord, uh, even when you're not living in their household. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for their poor treatment of their parents in Matthew 15, starting at verse 4. Jesus is talking. He says, For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is, quote, devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. And so Jesus is calling out the Pharisees, you know, saying, you are not honoring your father and your mother, uh, and you're trying to make excuses for it, and this is wrong. All right, well, moving on, let's move on to the fourth uh, of the commands uh, in Colossians chapter 3. And this one says, fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. In Ephesians 6, verse 4, it says basically the same thing, but a little bit differently. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. It's interesting that he says this to fathers rather than to mothers. Dads are prone to push harder. Uh, the Helps Word Studies explains the Greek word that's translated provoke like this. Uh, the word is parogizo. And it comes from two parts, from para, which means from close beside, and orgizo means become angry. So properly, it means to rouse someone to anger, to provoke in a way that really pushes someone's buttons. Uh, that is to really get to them in an up close and personal way, uh, because it means be angry close beside. So as a teacher, I've had plenty of experience with misbehaving students, uh, particularly it seems like little boys, like every year I get certain uh, boys who have uh, behavior problems, attention problems and so forth. And uh, as a teacher, you do learn what will quote push their buttons, so to speak. And you also learn with certain kids to sort of avoid addressing their misbehavior with a certain tone uh, or method because you realize it's be it becomes counterproductive to discipline for them okay and so i on purpose learn hey to back off this addressing it this way is going to push their button it's not going to help me or them uh, however i also know that there's this temptation especially when the child is really out of line to definitely not mince words and to let them know how I really feel about their behavior. And uh, when that happens, I usually have to end up backtracking and sometimes apologizing to the students. Um, 
Now, there can be a place for that. Jesus did it a few times. But think, the, the Pharisees and the temple money changers weren't children, right? So fathers in particular need to remember to be merciful and gentle. Just imagine what it would be like if God addressed our behavior as it truly deserved and didn't buffer his discipline with his mercy. And I think that's a good way to say it, right? We'd, we'd, be, we'd be gone. We'd be toast. Well, he's reminding us to do the same with our children. Buffer, uh, we may be truly upset and they may deserve it. But we need to buffer uh, ourselves with mercy as we discipline our children. In the very last verse of the Old Testament, God shows us his thinking toward the father-child relationship. He talks about turning the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. That's Malachi 4 verse 6. The Lord who created family wants families caring and caring deeply for one another. He certainly doesn't want us embittering our kids. I've seen some young people embittered toward their fathers or mothers because they felt that they weren't, that they were treated too harshly. It usually isn't all the parents' fault, it seems, but we don't want to, as parents, do anything that would truly alienate our children. That relationship is not worth cutting off, either for the parent or for the child. And uh, sometimes people are far too willing to cut off a relationship like that. No, the relationship is too valuable. Having said all that, God is not telling us to avoid disciplining our children completely as our society is doing more and more these days. Far from it. But we need to discipline them with love. Here are some verses that uh, remind us that discipline is necessary. Proverbs 22:15, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs 23, 13, and 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod... He will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. That's an amazing verse. Uh, there is an important reason. Uh, sometimes we think, oh, we can't cause any physical pain to our children. No, a little physical pain to avoid an eternity in hell is well worth it. Proverbs twenty-nine, fifteen. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. A child left to himself. Um, I feel like we see that more and more these days. I'm sure it's not a new thing. A child left to himself. A child left to be babysat by the Internet. Uh, a it, you know, we're so busy. A child left. One, one of our callings as parents is to devote time to our children. Ignoring the wrongdoing of our kids is not good or healthy for them in the long run. Contrary to many modern experts, discipline really is an essential part of bringing up kids. 
If you don't believe that mankind is basically sinful, just hang around a two-year-old for a little while. Tell them not to do something and see what they try to do. You can't leave your kids and their upbringing to themselves. They need discipline early or there are going to be much bigger problems later on. Discipline should continue throughout childhood, even as it takes different forms. Proverbs 29, 17 says, Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Discipline, when administered properly, consistently, and out of love, will make a huge difference. Make sure, though, that all discipline is done out of love, not out of anger. The goal isn't to cause harm or even shame, but genuine godly repentance in our children. So it shouldn't be a matter of spanking the child and sending them off to to their room in isolation. No, the final step should always be a demonstration of love and acceptance, just like God does for us. This takes more time. This takes more energy, but it's very important. A temptation in discipline is to stop at merely behavior modification. But our end goal each time should be to help our children come to God and receive his forgiveness. We escort them to his throne of mercy. What we're really doing is discipleship, training them how to relate to God for their whole lives. That's, that's part of discipleship. Uh, some people think, oh, no, I, I can't force my child to come to God. No, we teach them by example. And sometimes uh, as children, we walk with them to God. He's real. It's not like we're doing something fake. But we are showing them how to come to God and receive and repent and receive his forgiveness uh, so that they might learn to do it for themselves. So. And we're getting to the closing part here now, hearing this, these charges to faithfully fulfill these four simple commands uh, could honestly be producing these feelings inside of you and me. Anxiety, guilt, stress, inadequacy, regret, or confusion. None of us can or has done these things uh, perfectly. And none of us can do them the right way in our own strength. All of us have already failed in some aspect or another at these things. Now is the time to remember the grace of God and also to remember our helper and counselor who's called the Holy Spirit. We are not alone in the task to build godly families and our failures have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Amen. Even some here who may not at this point have family by blood or marriage are still called to help build godly families and make disciples because we've been gathered into the bigger family of God. So you may not have children. You may not have parents still alive. You may not have a spouse who's alive with you now. Uh, But in Christ, we have a family and we are all playing a part of that. You know, Hillary Clinton said it takes a village. I disagree with her, but I do believe it takes a body of Christ. 
And, uh, and so we are all called to this challenge to build godly families. And that's a deeper bond than blood. Here's what the Spirit says. Trust me, obey me, and be excited about this. The grace and power of God are at work in our lives. The grace and power of God are at work in your life. Is at work in your life. Finally, think about this. God created parents and children and put them together for the benefit of both. So kids, that means that your parents are a gift to you from God. See them that way. They are there to help you to learn and grow and become the person God wants you to be. They, with their training and discipline, have been given to you for your benefit. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 says, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. That garland and chain represent a crown of honor, a reward for success, perhaps the, uh, the award for winning a competition uh, in the old days. And uh, that's what your, your parents' teaching is to you. It's, it's a reward for victory. It will bring success in your life. Parents, your children, no matter how you got them or how things are going, are meant to be a blessing to you. Psalm 127, 3 and 4 says this, Children are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring, a reward from him, not a curse, a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man and woman whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. God intends children to be a blessing in his kingdom. They are meant to go beyond where we as parents can reach ourselves and continue the cause for which we work and fight, which is to advance the kingdom of God in all the earth. Let's follow his instructions. Amen. Amen. And let's, let's pray. Let's, uh, as, as we, uh, think about this message and these words, let, let's, let's pray, um, that the power of God, the mercy of God will be at work, uh, in us, in our children, in our family members, um, you may have something that's really um, weighing that's a weigh, weighing on your heart this morning. Uh, maybe a, the relationship with a certain child or a relationship with one of your parents. Um, let's bring it to the Lord. Father, uh, we give you thanks today. Um, for your goodness. Thank you that you are a loving father. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're present with us. And we thank you for the gift of family. We thank you for the gift of parents and the gift of children that you meant for them to be a blessing. And Father, there are times when we don't see uh, each other as blessings and sometimes there are times we don't treat each other as blessings. And for that, we repent, Lord. 
We repent for where we have not obeyed or fully obeyed your commands that we see here today. And God, we, uh, we ask that you would help us because Holy Spirit, you are the helper. That you give us counsel every day because you are our counselor. Uh, that we would walk in the fruits of the Spirit, that you would produce your fruit in us. And Lord, we yield to you. Help us to submit to one another out of love for Christ. Help us who are in positions of authority to walk in the kind of leadership that Jesus Christ did, sacrificially and serving, submitting in love. But Lord, when love Love sometimes takes the form of disciplining and correcting. We pray that you'd give us grace to do that, not in anger, but with uh, with the right motives, with self-control, with mercy, and extending grace. Father, we lift up our family members, and Lord, we lift up our society here in Jefferson County, the communities around us here. And Lord, in our nation, because we see things going backwards, right is wrong and wrong is right. We pray, God, that you would turn it around, that you would bring change and that you would restore marriages and restore families by the power of your spirit. Lord, it needs to be a work of God. It needs to be a supernatural work of your word, of truth and of grace and of the power of the Holy Spirit. Turn this nation around turn the lives of people around and let it begin with us and let it go forward through us. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.